WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Your host, J. Paul Newman of the Monthly District Attorney Show, will now take you on a journey to explore recent Rutherford County court cases, cold cases, and more. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts today are Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we also thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. We will begin our broadcast after you listen to these important messages. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, nothing helps my family more than having the Demas's baked chicken and rice soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother, and we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by anytime today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick, or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant. Whether you own a local business or a global one, you know that these days, generating growth is a challenge. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll not just stay ahead of the curve, you'll move it. With access to experts, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter, locally and globally. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Copyright 2023 Bank of America N.A. Military veterans and active duty service members, you could become a certified cyber warrior with just 12 weeks of training at My Computer Career. Cybersecurity specialists are in high demand, and IT pros with these skills often enjoy abundant opportunity and a great lifestyle. Protect our people, liberty, and treasured institutions from cyber threats. GI Bill, SkillBridge, and other VA benefits are available to those who qualify. Learn more at mycomputercareer.edu slash CWP. That's mycomputercareer.edu slash CWP. A search for truth. I know you're out there somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. I know you're out there somewhere, somewhere. You can hear my voice. I know I'll find you somehow, somehow, somehow. I know I'll find you somehow. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. We will review a case that involves one of the most bizarre and brutal murders in Rutherford County history. It is the murder of 24-year-old Marjorie Ewing. Marjorie Ewing was killed in December of 1980. To discuss that case will be Detective Sergeant Dan Goodwin of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Also on today's broadcast, General Weitzel will tell us about a very interesting aspect of the law and how it affected the Marjorie Ewing case. 
call to conviction. Time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. On today's Call to Conviction segment, we will review the case involving the murder of 24-year-old Marjorie Spivey Ewing. A word of caution. This case contains facts that are brutal and bizarre. Listener discretion is advised. Marjorie Ewing had been married to Charles Ewing for five years when she disappeared. The couple had two children. Marjorie Ewing was last seen alive by her co-workers at the Crystal Restaurant on December 27, 1980. Her husband, Charles Ewing, told the police that he did not know where she was or what had happened to her. Three months later, on March 23, 1981, a woman's skull and three vertebrae were discovered at the Stones River battlefield. The remains were sent to the University of Tennessee. There, they were examined by world-renowned forensic anthropologist Dr. William Bass. Through scientific identification techniques and dental records, the remains were identified to be those of Marjorie Ewing. Despite the efforts of law enforcement, no arrest was made, and the case went unresolved for over two decades. In 2007, the newly formed Rutherford County Sheriff's Office Cold Case Unit reopened the case. They re-interviewed witnesses. Some of those witnesses told the investigators that Charles Ewing had told them that he had killed his wife. Based on all the evidence, Charles Ewing was arrested on July the 8th, 2009. When interviewed by the detectives, Charles Ewing confessed to killing his wife. He told the detectives that he beheaded Marjorie Ewing and disposed of her body at various locations. The case of Charles Ewing moved quickly through the Rutherford County court system. 42 days after his arrest, on August 19, 2009, the case was over. Charles Ewing was represented by Rutherford County Assistant Public Defender Ray White. The state prosecution team consisted of District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr. and Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman. The case was assigned to Division Three of the Circuit Court for Rutherford County. The presiding judge was the Honorable Judge Don R. Ash. On August 19, 2009, Charles Ewing entered a plea of guilty to the murder of Marjorie Ewing. Under the plea agreement and the law that existed in 1980, Judge Ash sentenced Charles Ewing to 40 years to serve in the Tennessee State Prison. Charles Ewing was 23 years old when he murdered Marjorie Ewing. Almost 29 years later, at age 51, Charles Ewing entered his plea of guilty and faced his justice for the brutal and horrible murder of his wife. It was through the perseverance of dedicated law enforcement officers that the murder of Marjorie Ewing was not forgotten. The passage of time did not dampen their spirits as they sought to bring closure to the family and memory of Marjorie Ewing and justice to the man who killed her. We now welcome Dan Goodwin of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office to the microphones. Goodwin, along with Detective Bill Sharp, were the two detectives who solved the murder of Marjorie Ewing. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in law enforcement 
and how the cold case unit was formed. I uh, became bored with working at the local newspaper and decided to pursue an idea I'd had for a long time back in 92 to become a police officer and eventually made it into the detective division. Can you tell us how the cold case unit was formed, who came up with the idea, and how it was developed? Well, after uh, the successful prosecution of Kyle Gilley in 2006, uh, plans began to create a specialized unit to investigate and unsolved homicides. Specifically, can you tell us how it was that after over 25 years, this case was reopened? We looked at all of the cases for solvability. After we made our first arrest in 2008, we turned our focus to Charles and Marjorie Ewing's case because it appeared to be highly solvable. Tell us a little bit about the victim in this case, Marjorie Spivey Ewing. Everyone that remembers her family and friends said she was a kind, cheery woman, worked very hard to keep her children clean and clothed properly, took care of them, was working just about full-time at the Crystal's restaurant that used to be down on Northwest Broad. She was a good mother to her children. The Ewings had two children at the time of the murder. What were their ages? Uh, Their son was four and their daughter was two. And I know you worked very closely with Marjorie Ewing's friends and family. How helpful were they in helping you solve the case? Well, very much so. We found out, for instance, it was never Charles who reported her missing. It was one of her sisters who lived up near the Kentucky border reported her missing at first. Unfortunately, Murfreesboro Police no longer had that report, but they were already looking for her right after she went missing, thanks to their family. There is irony in this case in that Charles Ewing was a witness in the Moses Bess murder trial. How did he know Moses Bess? And why was he called as a witness? He and his new wife, after Marjorie disappeared, he married a 16-year-old girl, moved out to Richland Road in the middle of 1982 and was just two doors down from Moses Bess and spent years telling him how easy it was to get away with murdering your wife. In looking at the Charles Ewing case and the Moses Bess trial, I noticed there are some very eerie similarities. Share with the audience some of those similarities. Well, for one thing, it took right at 29 years for both of them to come to justice. Charles killed her at the end of 80, and he pleaded guilty in the fall of 19, or the late summer of 2009. And Moses killed Deborah Bess in August of 1986, and we convicted him of first-degree murder. And it's coming up on 29 years since Deborah was slain, too. They both killed their wives. Both of those ladies were working hard as waitresses to support their husbands and their kids. They both had two small children with those ladies at the time of the murder. And they had, as part of their motive, was they both had much younger girlfriends they were wanting to upgrade to as wives or companions. And they were living at the same time on Richland Road. And now they're both going to live behind bars for a very long time. Now, you may have already touched on it just a little bit, but what did you determine was the motive or one of the motives for why Charles Ewing killed his wife? He didn't want to go through a divorce with her. He had met this girl just three weeks before he killed Marjorie and become smitten with her. And he wanted to switch from a 24-year-old wife that had had two children and go with a much younger girl. And that's exactly what he did. In this case, I know that you worked with Dr. Bass from UT Knoxville. Tell us what it's like to work with him being around a forensic scientist who is so impressive and has done so much. For all that, he is a very personable man, very knowledgeable, but he's a lot of fun. He's a hoot to hang out with, and he worked on a number of cases that we had from back in the 80s. Now, in this case, Charles Ewing ultimately received a 40-year sentence. In your opinion, does the punishment fit the crime? Yes, it does. He stole their children's mother from them forever, left the family in doubt. The, the skull was found actually a couple of weeks after he got married. 
that next March. It took over four months to positively identify her. Those kids grew up without their mother, and their family never knew for sure what had happened until this case was solved. Sergeant Goodwin, we want to congratulate you and Detective Bill Sharp for solving this cold case murder. We also want to congratulate the other members of both the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office who have worked on this case, as well as the scientists who worked on it. Success in cold case prosecutions involve teamwork and perseverance and patience. Murderers believe that the passage of time makes their case harder to solve. This case shows us that diligence and training law enforcement can put time on our side and a killer in prison. General Weitzel will tell us about a very interesting aspect of the law and how it affected the Marjorie Ewing case. Morning, Paul. I'm glad to be here. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there was some real good police work initially in the Ewing case that laid a foundation for success. It took a long time to bring Mr. Ewing to justice, but the things that were done early on in that case allowed us to be successful later. And I specifically remember when Miss Ewing's skull was found in the Stones River battlefield, and of course, Sergeant Goodwin mentioned that it was a missing persons case in the city of Murfreesboro initially was involved, but then when her skull was found, it, it transferred to the sheriff's department. I remember David Grisham and Virgil Gammon working on the case, uh, and you mentioned Dr. Bass, and he wanted to go to the exact location where Miss Ewing's head had been found, and his purpose was to dig around to see if he could find any more bone fragments or possibly any jewelry that would help identify her. And then after he took her remains back to the University of Tennessee, they were able to do a facial reconstruction using a picture also and put her hair on that reconstruction and that helped ultimately in the identification that gave them a direction to go and as you mentioned dental records and other techniques were used so we had that foundation we knew who she was we knew she's missing under unusual circumstances she didn't even pick up her last paycheck and that allowed us to go forward so that's a great feeling to bring a case, especially a cold case, to a conclusion, a successful conclusion. And as you pointed out, two people who committed incredibly heinous crimes were brought to justice, and the irony and the parallel circumstances of both of these cases, and it took not only the efforts of law enforcement then, but then Sergeant Goodwin and Sharp and the cold case unit and the other detectives at the sheriff's departments to bring these cases to a successful conclusion. A safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For Bill Weitzel, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and bless day. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. We're talking with Pat Wingo at Adams Place. 
I just thank God every night that my sons did the research and put my husband and I here because there's activities, there's great food, the people are awesome, the help, the staff is awesome. I thank God every night, and I'm so thankful for Adam's Place. Hi, this is Terry Deal at Adam's Place. Call me for more information about Adam's Place, located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. Right now that time, 8.32, you're tuned to WGNS, powered by Middle Tennessee Electric. MTE's Sharing Change has now donated more than $11 million to local nonprofits, assisting worthy causes in our community. Middle Tennessee Electric, serving to make life better since 1936. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney General, Jennings Jones. And today, I will be your tour guide through this episode of Inside the Courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted. And, of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go Inside the Courts. On the 16th of March, 2023, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Swanson Lane in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in response to a 911 call where officers located the body of Thetsaphone Cesarino. Mrs. Cesarino had been beaten to death in her garage and her throat had been cut. The victim's husband, Focam Cesarino, was unaccounted for. Mr. Cesarino was later found covered in blood. After conducting an interview of Mr. Cesarino, he was charged with first-degree murder. Detective Richard Presley with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Mr. Cesarino is represented by the Office of the District Public Defender and is scheduled to appear in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County on June 27th of this year. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. On the 15th of February of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call of shots fired at an apartment complex on Puckett Creek in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Officers discovered the body of Miss Rebecca Stockton on the floor of her apartment, having been shot multiple times. Detective Julie Cox was assigned as the lead investigator. Mrs. Stockton's live-in boyfriend, Salim Hamilton, was missing. A manhunt for Mr. Hamilton was ordered, and he was located on, in Corbin, Kentucky. Mr. Hamilton was found to be in possession of the rental car of Miss Stockton and a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Miss Stockton was shot and killed by a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Mr. Hamilton was charged in Kentucky with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon and currently remains in custody in Corbin, Kentucky. Mr. Hamilton has been charged with first-degree murder by the Murfreesboro Police Department and awaits extradition. On the 13th of February of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call in reference to a stabbing at a residence on Ransom Drive in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. 
Upon entry, officers discovered the body of Mr. Philip Maddox on the floor in his bedroom, having been stabbed once in the neck. A witness on scene advised that Mr. Maddox's roommate, Malik Smith, admitted to stabbing Mr. Maddox. Officers located Mr. Smith, and he confirmed that he stabbed Mr. Maddox. Detective David Miller of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. After a search of the residence, collection of evidence, and interviewing all witnesses, Detective Miller charged Malik Smith with first-degree murder. On May 31st of this year, a preliminary hearing was held and the court found probable cause to bind the matter over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. Mr. Smith is represented by counsel, Mr. John Slager, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On the sixth day of October of last year, officers with the Laverne Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Almondwood Place in Laverne, Tennessee, in response to a shooting that led to the death of the homeowner, Miss Robin Taylor. Detective Tanner Noakes has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Miss Taylor's sister, Candace Davis, was on scene when officers arrived. After initially claiming an unknown subject shot her sister and ran away, Miss Davis later changed her story and claimed her sister attacked her and she shot Miss Taylor in self-defense. Upon the conclusion of Detective Noakes' investigation and in light of the evidence collected on scene, it was determined that Miss Davis was not justified in shooting Miss Taylor. She was subsequently charged with second-degree murder. A preliminary hearing was held on November the 4th of last year, and at that hearing, the court found probable cause to bind the matter over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. The defendant is represented by counsel, Mr. Thompson Kirkpatrick, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On July 6th of last year, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office responded to a residence on Panther Creek Road in response to a shooting. After receiving a 911 call, deputies discovered the body of Mr. Clarence Rowden. Mr. Rowden had been shot multiple times. Witnesses identified Mr. Jeffrey Burris as the shooter. Mr. Burris was located and found to be in possession of a firearm. After being taken into custody, Mr. Burris was interviewed by Detective Kyle Norod, who was assigned as the lead investigator. Upon the conclusion of his investigation, Mr. Burris was charged with the first-degree murder of Mr. Rowden. On December the 8th of 2022, Mr. Burris appeared in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County and bound his case over to the grand jury. Mr. Mr. Burris is represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Josh Crane, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. <clears throat> on August 30th, 2022, officers with the Smyrna Police Department responded to a shooting at a gas station on Sam Ridley Parkway. Mr. Nicholas Patterson had been shot during the course of an attempted robbery and later died as a result of his injuries. Surveillance video showed an armed subject enter the store, point his firearm at Mr. Patterson, fire at least one shot into the ceiling of the store, and then shoot Mr. Patterson before running out of the store. Detective Steve Hanna with the Smyrna Police Department has been assigned in the lead, as the lead investigator in this case. As a result of two other robberies, one in Brentwood, Tennessee, and one in Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. Keanthony Williams has been identified as a suspect. Upon execution of a search warrant, Mr. Williams was taken into custody and found to be in possession of a firearm. Mr. Williams was interviewed by law enforcement, and at the conclusion of the interview, he was charged with first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Mr. Williams is being held at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center and awaits a mental health evaluation. 
Mr. Williams is represented by counsel, Mr. Ben Wetzel, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On September 27th of 2021, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Bivens Hill Road in reference to a shooting. Once on scene, deputies located Miss Tony Odom, who had sustained a gunshot wound and later died from her injuries. Detective Ty Downing was assigned as the lead investigator in the case. After interviewing witnesses and reviewing physical evidence at the scene, Erwin Odom, the victim's husband, was identified as the suspect. At the conclusion of the detective's investigation, Mr. Odom was charged with first-degree murder of his wife. Mr. Odom is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Josh Crane, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. Mr. Odom awaits his next court date of August 22, 2023. On December 4th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department were dispatched to an apartment complex on North Rutherford Boulevard in reference to a shooting that resulted in the death of Mr. Montavis Jones. Mr. Jones was left laying in the apartment complex parking lot. Detective Chris Pate with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as the lead investigator. After the shooting, Mr. Mikhail Boyd was located at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital as the result of a gunshot wound. Video surveillance footage showed Mr. Boyd being brought to the hospital by Mr. Tevin Campbell and Mr. Paul Turner. After a lengthy investigation that included interviewing witnesses, obtaining cell phone records, social media records, and expert witness reports, Detective Pate charged Mr. Boyd, Mr. Campbell, and Mr. Turner, along with Mr. Martavis Guy, with first-degree murder, attempted especially aggravated robbery, and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Guy's girlfriend, Ms. Tybricia Lattimore, has also been charged with conspiracy to aggravated robbery and facilitation to attempted especially aggravated robbery. Mr. Boyd is represented by Mr. Michael Rexrote, Mr. Turner by Mr. Josh Crane, Mr. Guy by Mr. Ben Powers, Ms. Lattimore by Mr. Scott Saul, and Mr. Campbell is represented by Ms. Heather Parker. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. December of 2022, a Rutherford County grand jury indicted the defendants for all listed charges. They will next appear before a circuit court judge on June 29, 2023. On April 24, 2021, officers on patrol heard shots fired and responded to 1621 Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Officers found Mr. Shakur Ali, who had been shot and later died from his injuries. Apollo Cantrell was identified as the shooter and fled the state. Detective Richard Presley of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Through cooperation with the state of, Ohio of Iowa, Mr. Cantrell was apprehended. He is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center on charges of second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Mr. Will Fraley. A preliminary hearing was held on this matter on February 7th of last year, and the General Sessions Court found probable cause to bind this matter over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. The defendant will next appear before a circuit court judge on June 29th of this year. On April the 9th, 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on North Rutherford Boulevard in response to a shooting resulting in the death of Mr. Stephen Lopez, Jr., Lead investigator Detective Richard Presley has charged Mr. James Evans III with the second-degree murder of Mr. Lopez. 
In March of 2021, a grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Evans. Mr. Evans is represented by counsel, Mr. John Mitchell III, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. The next court date for this matter is currently scheduled for July 7th of this year. On June 27th of 2018, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds and later died from his injuries. Officers were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and was attempting to get into vehicles at the Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Doug Arrington has been assigned as the lead investigator. Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence on scene was collected. Upon conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Mustafa and Devante James went to a residence on Old Las Casas with the intent to commit a robbery. Mr. Biddle was a guest at that residence. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James entered the residence and attempted to rob Mr. Biddle. During the course of the robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. Mr. Biddle was, however, able to return fire, and Mr. Mustafa sustained a gunshot wound as a result. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James were charged with first-degree felony murder, aggravated robbery, and employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Mustafa is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Thomas Parkerson, while Mr. James is represented by Mr. Rusty Perkins. The state will be represented by Mr. Trevor Lynch. This matter is currently set for trial to begin on August the 14th of this year. On April the 30th of 2018, the Laverne Police Department responded to a George Buchanan drive in response to a shooting. Emergency personnel transported the victim, identified as a juvenile, to Vanderbilt Hospital where the victim died from their injuries. The victim's younger siblings were present at the time of the shooting. Detective Ryan Hudgens was assigned as lead investigator, assisted by Detective Steve Krotz. It was determined that the victim was attempting to buy a cell phone that had been advertised on social media. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Brian Berry and Marquis Hughes lured the, vic the victim to that location with the intent to rob the victim. During the course of the robbery, either Mr. Berry or Mr. Hughes shot the victim. The defendants have been indicted for first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, and conspiracy to the same. Brian Berry is represented by counsel Mr. Russ Nixon, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This matter is set for trial to begin September the 18th of this year. <clears throat> On September the 8th of 2019, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Journey Drive. Officers discovered Marquis Turner had been shot on the sidewalk after leaving an event at the Elks Lodge. Mr. Turner later died from his injuries. Detective Cody Thomas of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator and developed Khalil Smith as a suspect. Upon the conclusion of his investigation, Mr. Smith was charged with second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Khalil Smith is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Detention Center. In August, a Rutherford County grand jury indicted Mr. Smith for second-degree murder possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Smith is scheduled for trial beginning April the 22nd of, this, of next year in the Circuit Court of Rutherford County.
He is represented by attorney Stephen Perkins, while the state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On June the 8th of 2020, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a shooting on Summertime Drive. While en route, deputies observed a vehicle matching the suspect vehicle description leaving the area. A traffic stop was conducted and deputies took a driver and Yosincir Fomfan into custody. Deputies observed and recovered an object later identified as a firearm being thrown from the vehicle. At the scene of the shooting, deputies discovered the body of Mr. Thien Nguyen sitting in the driver's seat of his vehicle. Mr. Nguyen had suffered a single gunshot wound to the head. Detective Sergeant Ty Downing with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Upon interviewing witnesses, collection of physical evidence, and execution of search warrants on electronic devices, Yosem Sir Fomfan was charged with first-degree murder, attempted especially aggravated robbery, tampering with evidence, and employing a weapon during the commission of an offense. The trial in this matter, pardon me, the trial in this matter is currently set to begin on June 17th of next year. The defendant will be represented at trial by Mr. Will Fraley, while the state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On October the 24th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that occurred at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who was the victim of two gunshot wounds. Detective Albert Miles has been assigned as the lead detective in this case and has charged Mr. Cody Gilliam with the first-degree murder of Mr. Bolton. Mr. Gilliam remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. A Rutherford County grand jury has indicted Mr. Gilliam for first-degree murder, especially aggravated robbery, burglary to an automobile, possession of methamphetamine with the intent to distribute, employment of a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to the same. Mr. Gillum is currently set for trial, scheduled to begin July the 15th of next year. At trial, Mr. Gillum will be represented by counsel Mr. Brennan Foy, while the state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. We'll see a blend of clouds and sunshine developing for this afternoon. Can't rule out a slight chance for an isolated shower or storm with high temperatures approaching 90. I'm meteorologist Michael Kara, News Radio WGNS. Right now it's 64. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business? We're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs. Download our Tire World app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons. Come by today for all of your automotive needs. Online at tireworld.us. Are you tired of constantly spending money on sprays and other things to control mosquitoes around your home? If so, come by Holden Hardware and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. When used properly, the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators will kill mosquitoes. Come by Holden Hardware on the square and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. This year, make mosquito control easier and cheaper. Come by Holden Hardware on the square and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to What's the Law? 
In this segment, we're going to discuss Tennessee's law of diminished capacity. Unlike the statutory defense of insanity, diminished capacity is a rule of law established and recognized by our higher courts. While Tennessee Code Annotated 3911501 sets out the affirmative defense of insanity, it is Tennessee's Supreme Court and Court of Criminal Appeals that first decided to create and tell us how to apply the defense of diminished capacity. Tennessee Code Annotated 3911-201-A2 states, No person may be convicted of an offense unless the culpable mental state required for that offense is proven beyond a reasonable doubt. It is here that the defense of diminished capacity is conceived. Based on our higher court's creation of diminished capacity, Tennessee's rules of criminal procedure were amended to include such defense. Specifically, Tennessee Rules of Criminal Procedure, Rule 12.2b. Unlike insanity, the courts place the burden upon the defendant. Rather, like insanity, the courts place the burden upon the defendant to give notice of its intent to use the defense of diminished capacity. Also like the defense of insanity, diminished capacity requires the testimony of an expert witness. Diminished capacity is not considered a justification or excuse for a crime, but rather an attempt to prove that the defendant was incapable of the requisite intent required to commit the crime charged. So a defendant claiming diminished capacity contemplates full responsibility for the act of committing the crime but denies the existence of the culpable mental state required to establish a criminal offense. This is because of a mental disease or defect and an inability to form the required culpable mental state was because of that mental disease or defect. While the affirmative defense of insanity and the rule of law defense of diminished capacity are similar in their application, they are notably different. Insanity is shown by proof that at the time of the offense, as a result of a mental disease or defect, the person lacked substantial capacity to either appreciate the wrongfulness of the person's conduct or to confirm their conduct to the requirements of law. However, diminished capacity requires proof that the person was incapable of forming the intent required to commit the offense because of a mental disease or defect. The fact that a mental disease or defect impacted or impaired a person's capacity to form the requisite mental state is not enough to trigger the defense of diminished capacity. The defense of insanity is an affirmative defense, which if proven is a defense to the criminal offense and may require a verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity. However, diminished capacity is not technically a defense. It is instead proof presented by the defense to negate mens rea, the intent required to commit a criminal offense. While a verdict of not guilty is possible, it is not because of an affirmative defense of diminished capacity. It is because the defendant was incapable of forming the requisite intent required to commit the charged offense. 
the final decision as to whether or not a defendant was incapable of forming the requisite intent to commit a criminal offense because of a mental disease or defect rests with the sound discretion of a jury. However, if the defense cannot establish sufficient proof that the defendant was incapable of forming that requisite intent, the court may exclude any testimony by any expert the defendant would intend to call and rule that a jury will not hear any proof of diminished capacity. As with many of the subjects I discuss, the time needed to fully delve into the topic far exceeds the time we have. This is only meant as a brief glimpse of what the law of diminished capacity in Tennessee is. As always, thank you listeners for joining us today, and this concludes our What's the Law segment. Stay safe, be blessed. Life changes, then it changes again. Hi, I'm Edward Jones Financial Advisor Lee Colvin. A job loss, change in health, or loss of a loved one can have a big impact on your family's financial security. Let's work together to help make sure that you're equipped for life's unexpected events. Stop by our office in the Public Shopping Center on South Rutherford Boulevard or give us a call at 615-907-7056 for an appointment. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. As we end our program today, we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. We leave now by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Rutherford County District Attorney General, Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This is J. Paul Newman bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.